Welcome everybody to The Crucible. I'm Mary Lee Aitenhan and thank you for joining us today. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe. Today's episode is called Overcomer and we're going to talk about how to overcome loss, how to lean into pain, and how to regain control of your health. On today's podcast, we're joined by world-renowned choral conductor in the Midwest and a man that has done things musically that I would that I've only dreamed of. He's also overcome adversities that I can't even fathom. So please give a nice welcome to Dr. Clark Rausch. We all face challenges, crucibles in life, that make us or break us. What matters is how we respond to such roadblocks. That's really what defines us. Through inspirational stories from all walks of life, this podcast will provide you with techniques to overcome and grow from life's most challenging experiences. Welcome everybody to the Crucible Podcast. And today our guest is going to be Dr. Clark Rausch, who has his doctorate in choral music education. And he's currently teaching at York College. He's been there since 1986 and recently um, was with Eric Whitaker um, singing his compositions at Carnegie Hall. So give a nice warm welcome to Dr. Rausch. And Clark, today's our episode is entitled The Overcomer, because I feel like you have been the epitome of someone who's overcome hardship, not only personally, um, and we're gonna, I'm going to let you share all those details, you know, but also with your wife. And um, so we're going to start basically on your old life, your purpose, you know, as it was. And um, if you can just share your story and I'll jump in when you're ready. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, the greatest honor of my life will always be having been a husband to the queen. And that gave me such focus and such purpose uh, for 38 years. And um, <clears throat> that, you know, as, as most marriages do, you know, that true north, as it were, led us through all the ups and, and all the downs. And one of those downs was, you know, we had experienced the loss of both of her parents and um, the loss of my father. Um, and well, I guess she was still alive when my mother died as well. So we had experienced all those kind of things. Seven years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and it just keeps returning and it's under control, but I have been in treatment for that for seven years. Wow. And then um, we were making a trip to the hospital um, several years ago and we were totally ready to hear, let's yank that gallbladder and let's get send you home. And uh, she'd experienced some, some um, troubles in our last uh, trip together in New York City um, we went, uh, we're empty nesters. So, you know, we just flew out and saw Hamilton in its home oh, theater yeah. and, um, we saw come from away mm. and we saw, um, she took me to Camelot, uh, not Camelot, um, carousel, because that was oh, the musical in high school that made me fall in love with Aww. musicals. And because, uh, Renee Fleming is transitioning from the Met to Broadway and she was, the, singing the character yeah. <laughs> role 
that awesome. seems you'll never walk alone. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. You know, hello. And so yeah, exactly. every well, night, you know, we went home and she just, she thought it was indigestion or, you know, something. And so when the doctor comes back and says, you have pancreatic cancer, we were wow. like, what? what? Yeah. And uh, anyway, that was um, a grueling uh, 20 months. Um, and in ways I probably can't adequately describe, um, even though a therapist would tell you that we probably stopped functioning as normal husband and wife and went a little bit more into uh, patient caregiver. and caregiver. Mm -hmm. Sure. I still don't think there was ever an intimacy between us that was so acute mm. as it was when when she was in the process of dying wow and um the probably the super blip of the overcomer thing was my mom died november 1 mm. uh, 2019 um the queen died january 27th 2020 Spring break, I had my choir taken away because the students weren't allowed to return. Oh. And then the week after that, we officially went into COVID. And so oh. I just kind of felt like I was grieving four things. Oh, for sure. All at the same time. And I don't I don't believe it's a competition in any way, shape, or form, but I do believe that when it's yours, it does completely suck to be you. Oh, yeah. I yeah, I totally understand that. Um, we've dealt with cancer in our family. My last, we lost my mother-in-law to pancreatic cancer. She lasted four months after we found out. Um, I found out my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. I didn't even know she smoked, and she admitted later that yes, she'd smoked socially. Well, we found out, and six weeks to the day she was gone. So meanwhile, I'm doing. Our musical in Kansas and just praying she's not going to die that night you know and here I am yeah. you know I, you don't have a sub you know for some of those things and um so yeah I I totally understand that and I don't really think people understand loss of life like that until they've actually lost somebody oh I would I would agree it's impossible to mm -hmm. because I thought I did yeah previously and boy was I wrong you know, yeah. and until you've walked in someone else's shoes, the best you can do is an estimated guess or an assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And the platitudes just quite don't, you know, they just oh don't my quite goodness. make it. Yeah. They, they are insane because almost every platitude I endured was about her. Yeah. And yes i know she's in a better place right yes i know she's not in pain anymore i know all of those things but what i also know is she's supposed to be next to me right and she's not and you're not dealing with my thrashed heart you're still throwing platitudes about where she is yeah and i'm the one who's left behind you know isn't there any way you can figure out to deal with me yeah exactly and, uh, it's kind of a, well, it's a wake-up call for the rest of your life on how you're going to be available 
for other yes. people and the things you're not going to do and the things you're not going to say be, because we're in such an American culture of logic and fixing things. And this is nothing that can ever be fixed. Right. Ever. Right. That um, and I don't, believe, yeah. I, and I don't believe, I don't believe that grief somehow forms its way around the rest of our life. I believe that grief is a constant and the rest of my life, then I have to learn how to fashion around that so I can carry it in a way that uh, even though I miss her like crazy, I can still be emotionally and spiritually and physically healthy because she would not want me to act like I've died because she died. Right. Yeah. So my story goes deeper because I lost my dad at age 13. And at that point, none of my classmates even knew what to say to me, you know. Um, and the thing that I got consistently at that point was, I feel so sorry for you. And it was just that pity. And I think that, you know, I just rebelled against that in inwardly in saying to myself, I'm going to overcome this and I'm not going to become a victim, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, my I felt like forever I was homesick for my dad. It's been so long, but I always expected him to walk in the door because we never got to say goodbye. And he was, you know, it was just a tragedy. And, um, and again, like you said, you want to go on and, and function. And honestly, that's when I came to know, to know the Lord personally as my savior, because up until that point I was, you know, just going to church and going through the motions. And, um, I don't think I could have gotten through it without my faith for sure. And I know you had mentioned that to me too. I was going to ask you, what are some of the things that have helped you besides your faith? And you can go into that in depth, um, you know, just to be able to function and feel like you can come back up to normal and, and be happy. Well, I, I would say um, probably at the top of my list would be there is no one strong enough and equipped enough to handle this new emotional life situation, um, that kind of grief is trauma. Yeah, exactly. And no one can handle that healthfully without therapy. They just can't. And I believe that is how God works through people. Just like when I'm hacking up a lung, I go to an MD and he works through that MD's training to give me medication that keeps yeah. me from hacking up a lung anymore. And, and so when the brain is broken or the heart is broken, we all need tools in excess of what we have because we have never experienced anything like that before. And what that means, even in our faith, in my opinion, is everything we have always used and counted on is no longer sufficient. Yeah. And that is so humbling. Um, I, I personally realized, you know, I, I had a little, had a little faith crisis in there and um, 
that just made me understand that everything prior to that point that I had internalized about who God is and how he operates, all of that stuff is what allowed me to have the faith crisis. So that wasn't enough for me. So I had to refigure out who I think God is and how I think he operates and what is our relationship. And um, for me personally in, in my journey, um, first of all, if any of you are, are suffering and grieving and you never thought you would have a faith crisis, yeah, I get that. I, either did I. I'm like a yeah. poster <laughs> child for spiritual resume. And I was blown to smithereens. Um, so mm-hmm. you're not alone. And this is just what has worked for Clark. That's, that's all I can um, share with you. But I, I got to thinking about Jesus and if we buy into the fact that he was fully human, which I personally do, then there was something about his relationship with God that made him refuse to sin when he was fully human. Now, I'm not that good, yeah. but that kind of got <laughs> None me. None of us are. Yeah, kind of got me going down that road of what if I spent the rest of my life just trying to get to know the God that Jesus knows. Mm-hmm. Not the God of evangelical Christian America, not the right. God of any particular denomination, not the God necessarily that even my parents tried to hand down to me or right. that my faith belief system tried to hand down to me, but just the God that Jesus knows. What would my head and my heart and my life look like if that's how I spent the remaining years of my life? And that is odd for me to be so kind of loosey-goosey with something as a choir director because we spend our whole lives analyzing yes. and fixing everything. <laughs> Every minute detail. And, yeah. and so we want to know at the end of yay many minutes, here is where I'm going to wind up and here is how I'm going to get us there. I spent my whole life doing yeah. that. And now I, I can't do that with my faith. I don't know where he's taking me. I have no earthly idea. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I have no idea how long it's going to take me. I don't know what he's trying to tell me. I don't know if I'm still in a desert experience. I don't know if he's leading me to various patches of what I call sacred ground. Mm-hmm. I just know I have to spend a lot of time being very, very still and very, very quiet because cultures, voices are cacophonous and ever present. And And what if God wants, I'm not comparing myself to Elijah, but what if God wants to come to me in a small, still voice, and I'm not in a place where I can even hear it? What if I'm expecting the earthquake? What if I'm expecting the fire? What if I'm expecting this huge cataclysmic God thing? When, what if God just says, Clark, I just want you to have love and grace for every single person you meet. That that would really be enough for me. I just want you to be faithful. Well, that doesn't sound like this great big right. <laughs> spiritual anything, but maybe right. maybe it's a spiritual everything. Right. I love that. Yeah, and you know, we all perceive the Holy Spirit differently, but honestly, the times that I feel like God has spoken to me personally, it has been in that still quiet voice. It's not the, you know, thunderbolt, so to speak. 
um, I can't say I've ever, well, I kind of felt a thunderbolt when my son told me that he was, um, they were expecting. And that was my, that was my, um, message from God that I needed to give up teaching and I needed to be there for my kids. And I retired like two months later. It was like, wow, okay, I got that message, you know, loud and clear. So, but that's, that's really super. I wish that I could have had the therapy that I know that you've gone through because we basically grew up as a dysfunctional family. My mom was 45, my sister was 19, my brother's 16, and I'm 13. And she went to work at our family restaurant, you know, and was no longer just the bookkeeper and the mom at home taking care of the kids. It was, you know, it was traumatic for all of us. And we've, we've all three had to figure out how to, you know, how to basically navigate through that trauma and how to navigate back through our friendships and our relationships to each other. And that has not been easy because we're all right. three adults, you know, um, and some people learn quicker than others, you know, and, um, we have all, well, and we you all, weren't you you weren't blessed with the opportunity of having an older adult show you how to transition into that adult world because your mom had no choice. No, I felt abandoned. I mean, I right. truly did. I I can tell you, it was three days after my dad died, and and I think that's when for me my over overeating <laughs> started, of course but overachieving was the way that I would get her attention and her praise. And, right. and I did that simply through a track meet that she happened to come to. And she had no honor, you know, no idea on earth that I was a runner or that I could run or be successful. And I won and I won by quite a landslide, you know, and it was just like, Oh my gosh. And that pretty much started my running career, you know, for me. But, um, it was always music, you know, up until that point, my piano took lessons forever. Um, we had a fabulous band program in Scotts Bluff and, um, Georgine Deers, she was, she was, oh my, she was <laughs> to be feared for sure. And so she, and she team taught with Dean Maxwell. Well, they're all three and, um, Gerald Bacon. I don't know if you remember any of these, names, yes. but they're, they're all three in the Nebraska hall of fame of music educators, you mm -hmm. know, and well-deserved. And we had some really quality, you know, things going on. So that was one of the ways that I got her attention. Um, but I know that you shared your, um, the therapy was, was huge for you. Um, yes. that's your faith. You're now kind of rediscovering God as, as Jesus would have as a man. And I think that's incredible. And then your family. Um, but you also shared with me, I think when we were either speaking or texting, I can't remember, but you know, just that you couldn't control what cancer does, but you can control your response to that. And I'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. Um, I have, I have done, like 60 creative writings about my grief journey and that has helped me. And, um, my, my therapist says I need to hurry up and get them published so that, well, you know, that's easier said than done. Right. <laughs> but, um, it, it, anyway, I, I remember, um, in, in, um, in one of my writings, I 
and, and, and when I wrote, I made a, a, a promise with myself that I would not sanitize anything. That whatever mood I was in, whatever phase I was in, I was going to try to find uh, the words to creatively describe that or use metaphors or, you know, so, mm -hmm. something to do. And I remember writing the phrase, I really th thought if I loved her hard enough and cared for her passionately enough that somehow she would get better. Oh, yeah. Or if you prayed harder, did you, was that one and, too? And, you know, at, you know, that's what, what you get with writing and journaling until I mm -hmm. actually wrote yeah. that. I'm not even sure that I was aware that that's what I had internalized. Sure. You know, and, um, I have just because of my cancer, Sue's cancer, the other thing on my right arm, I have tattooed still I rise mm. uh, because I feel like whatever life throws at me, I, right I will. Arm, arm you conduct with, right? Yes. Right handed. Yes. I love yes. that. Yes. And uh, then on my, other, on my other one, um, I have, I am enough mm. because if it really is enough for me, to be beloved of the father and for me to be his son. If that, if I really, really, really mean that, then what are the things that I can give up? I can give up trying to control, trying to fix, thinking I have to be right, thinking I have to correct people, thinking I have to judge, thinking I have to do all those things. Um, and so as my therapist would say, I'm a completely different man and walked into her office wow. 20 months ago um, because I told her, I don't know how this therapy thing works. I know that this grief journey will make me different. I want your responsibility. Make me better. Wow. I'll do the hard work. I'll do whatever is necessary. But to me, if I can't emerge better, then I have wasted the pain that is non-negotiable. Yeah. The, the pain will be there for all of us. Yeah. What can I do to imbue that pain with purpose? That's awesome. And, and so she now calls me her Buffalo oh. because I stand my feet in the ground and I face the storm every time it comes. Oh, that's awesome. And um, she's given me, the tools to do that. And, and I believe even though it is such a blessed privilege for, for me to conduct my college concert choir, that I know a time is going to come where unless they're music education or vocal performance majors, they're not going to care anymore about their soft palate and phrasing and diction right. and declamation <laughs> and line Diaphragmatic and, color yes. and all those kind of things. <laughs> but I am acutely aware um, that they are watching me and that possibly the greatest lesson that I can ever teach them is an object lesson on how a man of God can remain God honoring mm. in the midst of life being the epitome of unfair, because they are yeah. going to experience some version of that. Yeah. And if they, and so I've been very transparent with what, with my choir, well, I'm just transparent 
with everybody anymore. I don't, I don't have time to play games or to worry about what people are going to think about like, Oh my gosh, he just told me he's having a faith crisis. Yeah, I am. That's temporarily part of who I am and I'm not better than you, but if you can't handle that, that is not on me. No. And honestly, Clark, I don't know how you get through losing somebody and not having a, a, a crisis of faith in some way, shape or form. I don't either. I mean, in that, you know, I, how many things have we sung? I'm thinking even from the rec, Requiem or whatever, you know, death, where is thy sting? And I've always thought, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, why is that in there? Because it's, it's painful. You feel like you're just ripped out from the inside out. And, you know, and I, I'm well, sure it is, that, yeah, you know, and, and whatever, um, death, you want that one experiences in their life it automatically jettisons a huge part of your self-identity yeah i'd agree with that and that has to be replaced with something and over the years i've seen a lot of people that are hurt and grieving and and understandably so and they turn to things to numb yeah and most of the things we use to numb ourselves with are not good for us yeah exactly and i've learned in, in at least in my own personal journey if i will just let the grief tsunami come and assault me yeah. It actually will leave faster than if, if I try to it. deny that it's happening, that I try to deflect that it's happening, if I try to dismiss it. I I may be nuts and that's okay because I live with me. Um <laughs> You're not I nuts. think it has I think it has things to teach us. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it doesn't yeah. go away temporarily until it thinks it has helped us realize something. And and so again, uh much later on in, in my writings, I remember writing, I knew that grief would be my teacher. Hmm. I'm wondering if it's not turning into my mentor, which causes me to question if I have the courage to consider it a friend. Hmm. I think at some point you will get to where you feel like, all right, this still really is bad. This really sucked for me. Life was horrible, but you'll be able to make peace with that in some way, shape or form. Well, I, I, I think so. And, and, and if so, that's only because, um, geez, if my therapist said anything on repeat mode, it's Clark, you need to lean in to the pain. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need, and, and so I come up with my own words, you know, to, to do that and share with my students. And, uh, I have a phrase uh, that I share with them called, you have to name it and you have to claim it. Yeah. And then I shared with them the other day that I have come to fully embrace that whatever you do not own owns you. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, I've seen that over and over with people who won't own their story. Um, 
I'm thinking of one particular friend who um, is is a recovered alcoholic, and I was deeply good friends with this person for years and years and years, and never knew. Um, but she's reluctant to tell people that because people automatically judge her. You know, but I, I I do agree with you. I believe that if you own if you own your story, you know, then it can go out and become good for you, you know, to work right. good in in others' lives. If you don't own it, then I feel like people almost own it for you and then they oh, judge yeah. you, hold it against you, whatever, you know, make um, they, they do, absolutely. Yeah. There so. will be a story told about you. Your right. only role in it is, are they going to tell the story you tell? Right. Or are they going to make up one of their own? <laughs> right. They're going to tell a story. Yeah. I want it to be my story. I want from, it to be from, one that emanated from me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Well, I know that you would, and this shocked me because I had seen pictures of you on Facebook and it was like, oh my gosh, you look incredibly thin. And I was like, what are you doing? And at that point, I was worried because I thought, oh, no, he's not eating because he's just in such horrible grief, you know, sorrow, all of that, which, of course, it does affect your appetite. You can't say it doesn't, <laughs> you know, in one way, shape or form. But um, you had shared with me that part of your journey was that you wanted to get healthy, part of your healing, I should say. Yes. Yes. So speak um, on that a little bit. When when I started my therapy, um, I have the blessing that we have been going to the same therapist since my 37-year-old son was in fifth grade. Wow. And so. That's awesome. As, <laughs> as, as, as we use, you know, that metaphor, she knows where all the Roush bodies are buried. Yeah. And we've all probably told her things we didn't tell each other. Right. And so she said in my very, very first session, there's, there's two very important things that I made a promise to pass on to you. And I said, okay. And she said, Sue was acutely aware that she was dying, but she didn't want anybody to know. Oh. She didn't want people walking on eggshells. She just wanted sure. to live fully until mm -hmm. she didn't. Sure. And yeah. that's what she did. Oh, good for her. I said, yes, that's what she did. And I told her from day one that the cancer was inside her and I would support whatever decision that she made, but it was her body that was being affected. So I'm a sounding board, but I'm not a decision maker. It's not inside me. Yeah. Oh, and it shouldn't be. It should right. be your choice. <laughs> it should be. And and so then she said, which brings me to point number two, even though she knew she was dying, she was concerned about your weight and your health. Mm. Wow. And um, that at least is a Sue thing. I'm beginning to kind of get the drift. Maybe it's just a wife thing because so many guys are just knuckleheads, you know, and the wife <laughs> worries about it more than the husband does. But I don't know. It, anyway, it's it was a thing for me, and I kind of interpreted that as her last wish. Wow. 
And so two months and one day later. Wow. <laughs> during COVID, mm -hmm. I'm already grieving. Right. You know, what? what's one more thing? Exactly. And so um, I, I got um, attracted to and believed in and started using the Optavia program because I thought it was healthy. Um, honestly, at that point in my life, I've got boxes of stuff in the pantry and I, and I can almost close my eyes and just pick. There's all these decisions that I don't have, have to, make to make. Yeah, I love that. About feeding myself. Um, and the, the lean and green is it's simple. And I told myself, if you're going to do this, don't don't let it be a diet. Exactly. And so in week, week and a half short of six months, I lost 70 pounds. Wow. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Because I, I think that that is part of it. You know, if, if I work so hard to become emotionally healthy and I work so hard to get more spiritually healthy and I don't take care of my body and then I die prematurely because of my own stupidity. Which you can oh, actually do something about, right? <laughs> yeah, I can control parts you of that. You can control the way, yeah, you can't control all of it, but. Um, but how how is being that careless about my physical self, and I, I'm not judging anybody when I'm saying this. I'm telling no, people what it. went yeah. through my head. Right. Which is what I'm stuck with, you know. Um, how is that me caring for the family I still do have left behind. My sons, my granddaughters. Right. How, yeah. I, did, did I really want to stay fat papa that couldn't play with his granddaughters because he's winded? Yeah. No, no. And, and yeah. so, yeah. And, and this is, this is an amazing thing. I, I had to admit to myself that I was a stress eater. Mm. And in so many other areas of my life, I am so disciplined. I just kind of refuse to admit that to myself because that's undisciplined. Right. <laughs> and I had to admit that I was addicted to sugar. And if I ever, ever, ever wanted to discount that, I want everybody listening to this to understand that March 28th, 2020, I went off sugar. It's awesome. I've not taken one ibuprofen or Tylenol since. Wow. Not for a headache, not for mm -hmm. a joint ache, mm -hmm. not for anything. And there's no way you will ever convince me that all that other stuff I took them for wasn't sugar related. Yeah. Well, it's a silent killer and it's one that nobody talks about because, you know, the food industry, food science is a real thing, right? <laughs> People go to get degrees in food science of how to make their food more nutritionally or taste better or smell better. They actually put scent into your food. 
right. you know, as well as all of these additives. Yes, and it is sugar and corn syrup are 10 times more addictive than heroin. Right. So it's just a frightening, a frightening thought and a frightening place to to be so good for you for being able to just you know own that i i just truly admire you and appreciate that because i i think that's one of the hardest things for people to um admit is it you know is usually within their eating habits because they're usually skewed by some other need within their life you know for me it was um the thinner i was the better i ran you know i was a distance runner so um that just fed right into that. I'm going to be the overachiever and I'm going to win every race. And, you know, and that led into my music, you know, it, it just all was a big snowball for me. So anyway, I, I just really appreciate that. And how do you feel like, um, you made this not a diet? Like what were some of the things that you did that were not, that were transformational, um, I guess, within your head? Well, you know, and, and it's, and it's just a decision. I, mm. I could tell how much better I felt with what I call clean eating. And um, also, I mean, just pragmatically, um, I fix food just for me. And so it's really easy to have plenty of chicken and tilapia. And I've gotten creative. I, I love tilapia, but it does need some help. Um, but there are ways that you can help it that are healthy. Um, I, I fit, I've learned to fix just an incredibly mean salmon. Mm -hmm. um, you, you get the little egg white strainer and you make egg white omelets instead of full omelets, you know, and, 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 and it's just um, buy as many organic vegetables as I can. And you eat a protein and you eat a vegetable and, um, it's, it's, it's learning to fuel the machine that is both your body and your mind right. without yeah. necessarily connecting that to fueling your feelings. Yeah, your emotions, yeah. And your that's emotions. Good. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, that's super awesome. Well, I love what you've said. You've said so many awesome <laughs> bullet points you know things that could be memes still i rise i love that i am i am enough amen you know those two things alone are enough to you know encourage anybody i think and turning your pain into purpose and leaning into that that's you know everybody does the opposite they lean away and then like you said they try to numb it or deny it and so kudos to you clark i know that this has been difficult but I just see a, a whole different person. And I love that. Not that you were a bad person before. I mean, I've loved you forever. And you you were always such a huge highlight to my choirs when you come and work with them. And inevitably, whatever you told us to do, we would do and change it. And we would go and get three straight superiors a contest. <laughs> you know, our show choir would win. You know, it was just, it was like you were the magic bullet. And those kids just really respected and revered what you said you know so you've always been a great communicator and a great person at least to me personally as well as you know professionally so i just thank you so much for your time today and um just want to yeah thank you for being on and being on the crucible and giving people well, I'm, hope. I'm very honored and very humbled 
and uh, it was it's, it's good to see your sweet face and hear your voice and I there are just Thank so you. many people um, I hope this takes off the way that you dreamed it would not because I I am uber super guest but because I think you are an amazing person to be in oh. the life of so many other people Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate Absolutely. that. Thank you, everybody, for listening today to the Crucible podcast. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe, hit like, and share this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. 